Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of The Thundercast. Follow us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod. Also on Facebook as well. Give us a like over there so you don't miss any of the content that uh, Russ has helped forging along on that social media front. And please, if you would, go find in the description the link for the Thundercast YouTube channel. Subscribe to us there. We are going to start putting a lot more content on that arena and we don't want you to miss out on it. We're gonna, we've got some good ideas we want to move forward with uh, on the YouTube front. Of course, Twitter's never going away, and neither is Facebook. But uh, do yourself a favor and follow us on all fronts so you never miss a home Thundercast broadcast. And any other videos that we put up, we've got some good ideas tinkering around up there. So uh, do us a favor, do yourself a favor, rate, review, subscribe on all platforms so you don't miss a thing. Russ, it was a massively huge week uh to say the least <laughs> insert yeah. whatever adjective you want to say here off of the heels of this ma- monumental football win and we're going to get into every stinking bit of it uh, you were there in south bend i know you've got some excellent um geez i don't know it's just some excellent insight from being there the vibe the whole thing uh, and we're going to talk about it, but before we get into that, let's get a quick word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. You can't stop a bad driver from crashing into you and making you a victim, but when you're hurt and you try to deal with the insurance companies alone, you set yourself up to be a victim again. Don't be a victim twice. Jason and Matt can't protect you from bad drivers, but they can protect you from the insurance companies. Find them at 304carwreck.com. Off the heels of what could be considered the second largest victory in Marshall football history, and I know some people are like, what? Are you crazy? What could possibly be above that? Well, there is always but only one game that will ever be above those type of wins, and that, of course, is the victory against Xavier in 1971. That will forever be the biggest victory in Marshall football history, and I will argue that and die on that hill for life. I'm I'm with you. Yeah, I don't know how anybody could argue otherwise. I mean, we don't play the logo on the helmet. How many times have we heard that this week, right? It's it's much bigger. But uh, South Bend, Indiana was the site of what too many freaking national publications and talking heads are calling an upset. Uh, if you watch the game, you were at the game. I watched the game. If anybody arbitrarily watched the game that is not affiliated with Marshall knows that was not an upset. Marshall took it to Notre Dame in their house. And it, the score really was not indicative of the type of game that it was. It should yeah. have been a much larger margin of victory for the herd, but Hey, one mm-hmm. point victory is a one point victory. Look, all that matters is it was a big, big, big time win. We're going to get into all that later on. But first, we start the episode with five things every herd fan needs to know. 
All right. Every week we bring you five things every herd fan needs to know, and that is sponsored by IgniteLink, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. KD, you cannot have a victory like what we just had and not have five things that are heavily, heavily influenced <laughs> by such a game. So let's just kick it right off. Number one, the Sunbelt East showed out on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the briefly uh, the individual games that we're mentioning and then the impact on the college football world. So first off, obviously, uh, chronologically, it was us going to number eight Notre Dame and beating them yeah. in Notre Dame. Yeah. No number two, shortly thereafter, uh, while I was still in the parking lot trying to get out, <laughs> uh, you've got App State going to number six Texas A&M and beating them. And then also Georgia Southern handing Nebraska yet another loss. So that is, I, I, I saw that, I think they said since the AP era, 1936, when that era started, this is the first time that those three teams have lost to what they would call lower division teams. Or Let's whatever. call it unranked opponents. Let's call it that. Yeah. Um, absolutely amazing show out by the Sunbelt East division. Uh, the Sunbelt Conference as a whole, but primarily the Sunbelt East Division. No shade mm -hmm. tossed to our friends from Louisiana or Texas yeah. State or, you know, anybody. South Alabama. None of those guys. Yeah. Um, but the three biggest victories of the country in the country, uh, well, two of the three biggest victories in the country, but another impressive win by Georgia Southern that, uh, that uh, resulted in head coach Scott Frost getting fired from Nebraska. So, uh, it had its own fallout, but those three wins all come from the Sunbelt East Division. We've talked about it over and over and over, how tough, how tough this division is going to be, and I think we just saw a big reason why. Uh, three of the teams, two of which are considered favorites in the division, Marshall and App State, and if that doesn't put a circle around the game on November 12th to where – if you can buy tickets now, you should probably buy tickets now, right? Yeah. Because you don't want to give those App State fans an opportunity to go, hey, maybe we should try to get in on that. You know what? It's worth 69 bucks for me to get a mini plan for Marshall to be at that game. Let's not make that a possibility. Don't wait till November to buy those tickets. Get those tickets now if you can. Get your own mini plan. Go to Coastal or go to see Coastal play at homecoming. Go to see the Herd and, and App State and – you know, pick another game. Um, Louisiana or Georgia Southern. Seriously. Or State. Yeah. yeah, seriously. I mean, the, the Sunbelt East Division put themselves on the map in a much larger way. They were already on the map already with what happened last year with App and Coastal and, uh, you know, being ranked and, and, and winning big games. But a lot was, lot was to be said bringing in teams like Marshall, James Madison, the Old Dominion, and Southern Miss. It, was this the right move? Was this a good move? Was it a better move? Did it make the brand better? And I think wholeheartedly it's a resounding yes. Yeah, we've been talking about Sunbelt, the Sunbelt East, ever since this show has been a thing. Yeah, And we've been trying to tell everyone, a lot of people already had the same mindset. Others were not sold on the Sun Belt because they're thinking about the Sun Belt from 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. It's not that Sun Belt. 
look at what James Madison has done so far. I mean, if you look up their defensive stats and they just played a like opponent, they played Norfolk State this mm-hmm. last week. They beat them 63 to 7 and did similarly defensively that we did. So this is just a gauntlet of a, you know, Old Dominion. Uh, you've got uh, App State, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, James Madison. Uh, it's just top to bottom in this division. It's going to be tough. And oh, by the way, we play Troy at yeah. Troy. Oh, by know? the way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I hate it for Old Dominion because last week, week one, whatever, they beat Virginia Tech. And now mm-hmm. that seems like ancient history because yeah. of what App and Marshall has done. So I feel for those guys. I know in-house it still feels great, and it's going to feel great for years to come. Just like we're going to talk about beating Notre Dame for 20, 30, 40, 50 years maybe. Yeah. You know, because it's 20 years and we're still talking about Kansas State. And we talked about this going in that if Marshall's able to get this win against Notre Dame, we might not talk about Kansas State nearly as much. And now that's probably true. They will they will come up in the conversation because they were a top 10 victory as well. So you'll talk about those things and they'll be linked together. But people are by and large now a whole generation, a new generation, several new generations of Marshall fans are going to remember this one. Folks that weren't alive in 2003, you know, this is their game. And for a lot of herd fans, this supplants Kansas state in all capacities as Mm -hmm. their, you know, well, I might say their personal biggest win in program history, but the number two win in program history, uh, the conference, this conference USA. Now that's, that's long gone. This, the, uh, Sunbelt East just is, is proving that they may be the best, non-autonomous conference without question without question now yeah and anyone that's not on board man with now i just can't imagine you know i know we've got gardner webb as our next home game but you're talking about if we come in there undefeated we're not going to have close to 30 in there come on show up show out Buy some donation tickets if you're out of town and you can't go. Let's pack that place out, man. It's I, I'm so excited, and you got to strike while the iron's hot. It's it can't get any hotter than right now. That's right. This is a perfect opportunity again to join the Big Green. This is why the Big Green is so important because we can. The more scholarship money we bring in, the more opportunity we have to go into places like Notre Dame and compete and get wins. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the the more money we have available to us, the the more people we can put on scholarship, the more attractive we become. Click the link, man. Join the Big Green. Even if yeah. it's that five, ten bucks a month, just do it. Just be yeah. a donor. This is why. You, you you can't have something for nothing. There are There is a lot of folks that are already donors, and, and they're a big reason of why we can compete on the level that we do. But the more donors we have, you would like to think that if you extrapolate that, you can compete at a much higher level. And that's what we need. We need everybody. You've heard Coach Huff say it over and over again, rowing the boat in the same direction or pulling the rope in the same direction, whatever analogy you want to use. That's what we're trying to do here. That's what we need. We need more of our fans engaged. We need, we need more of our fans having some, quote, skin in the game, right? Like get behind them more than just buying your game day ticket. It's, it's yeah. not that much money to be a donor. It's really not 60 bucks a year, 120 bucks a year, whatever you can find, just do it. 
Even if you can make a one-time donation, go to the big green, go to, go to the website and make a $26 donation. One for every point we scored at Notre Dame, whatever is important to you, donate your favorite player's Jersey number. It doesn't matter. Just become a, a donor, help pull the rope, right? Help pull the rope. Over on my personal Facebook page, I did just that. I, I called for anyone that is not in the big green. Now's the time to join. Uh, get at least the five bucks a month uh, to, to join the big green. And I said, anyone that is a big green member already, one $10 donation. Just if everyone did that, we're looking at three quarters of an out-of-state scholarship that we could fund if every big green member throws in $10 uh, and just say, Hey, in honor of going up to Notre Dame, giving me a lifetime of memories, yep. here's $10, yep. you know, and it's as simple as that. Number two, Henry Columbia, who we were talking about before the season as, Hey, QB one, it's uh, up in the air. How's he going to perform? Well, he's first in the country in completion percentage after two games, one of which against number eight, Notre Dame at their house. It's a pretty amazing stat. You know, I know we're two weeks in, but still two weeks in being number one in the country in anything is a big deal. And we put a pin in several of these data points, right? When we talked about the losses from the roster last year and the additions and, and the changes to the roster this year at that position. And we talked about how vastly decreasing turnovers was going to be a big key to success. And through that, through this young season, uh, Henry Columbia accounts for just one turnover and that was on a tipped ball. Mm -hmm. So just finding your guy, get the ball to the hands of your guy and see if they can make a play for you is proving to be the early recipe success for Mark for success for Marshall. Uh, leading the nation in completion percentage, 85.1% completion percentage through two games. Uh, it, it, it is what we were hoping to see. Just move the ball. Let your playmakers make plays. Let Rely on your run game. And we were saying those things when we thought we were going to have a healthy Rasheen Ali in the, yeah. back, in the mm -hmm. backfield. And through two games, we haven't had that. Um, I know there's some a little bit of news on that front coming up a little later, but Kalen LeBorn has just shown out. Uh, he he has shown that he was he has been um, I don't I don't I don't want to say like underappreciated because we as Marshall fans completely appreciate him, but um, it's just it's just nice to see that we have a a quarterback in house at least early on here that is just doing what needs done. You know, and a lot of people will say, well, he's not throwing the ball down the field. Well, we're at, it's seven yard passes. So what? So what? And we saw early in the Notre Dame game that he did go downfield and mm -hmm. Corey Gamage went up over two defenders and caught a touchdown pass. It was just called back on an illegal formation call. So in both games, we've seen Henry go downfield, throw beautiful balls and have both touchdowns go unaccounted for one was a drop and one was a penalty so i don't want i don't know what you want for from the guy he's he's killing it early on this is exactly what we need early on in this season maybe we'll see a little bit more aggressiveness later on but for right now it's all about what ends up in the left hand column and that's two yep. wins that's it and we'll have much more about him his performance and that sort of thing uh when we're breaking down the notre dame game later in this episode but just 
cannot imagine a better scenario of 85.1% doing, you know, buying extra time with the wheels, taking the the time to let plays develop, all that stuff. Uh, right now, 100% A-plus on uh, Mr. Columbia through two games. Speaking of elite level uh, stats, Kalen Laburn is now ninth in the country in rushing yards, and that's only because he's played two games and a couple of people have played three. He's actually sixth in yards per game. And, oh, by the way, he's the Doak Walker running back of the week in the country. Uh, let's put let's qualify that national running back of the week, not Sun Belt Conference running back of the week. Right. It just goes to show you that when you play in these games against marquee opponents and, you know, what's the old saying? What's the uh, I think it was Tory Holt many years ago. This big time players make big time plays in big time games. So you're seeing there that he has not only the ability to run all over a team like Norfolk State, but he also has the ability to run all over a team like Notre Dame. And, of course, so much of that credit goes to the Hurt offensive line for opening those initial holes and letting Laborn get to the second level to where then his skill set comes more into play. Once you can get through that first line of defense, which our offensive line is playing amazingly good football right now, amazingly mm -hmm. good football. I hope people are appreciating how this unit has gelled and become a cohesive unit so quickly, so quickly when we replace the entire left side of the offensive line, basically. Uh, they have some all-timers. All-timers, three of them. Um, a lot of starts, they, they were talking about that during the game broadcast. I know you didn't hear that, but they that was a point of reference that they were talking about 100 and whatever, 23 or 132 combined career starts that were gone from the offensive line. Doesn't matter. They're playing excellent ball. They're opening these holes for, you know, Payne and Fancher and, and LeBorn and everybody. So, you know, it's it should not go unappreciated by herd fans. Um, you know, Laburn gets the big stat line, but mm -hmm. a lot of that is contributed or attributed to the uh offensive line's ability to move bodies and open running lanes. Uh, but you're right. I mean, we thought he would be an effective number two punch but thrust into being rb1 right before the start of the season he has shown exactly what he's made of and uh i am so happy for him um i'm, I'm you know it it the play that's going to stand in most folks memory forever is that 42 yard run mm -hmm. where if he only slips once he takes that to the house, but he slips twice, puts his hand on the ground twice, and still goes for 42 yards. If he only slips once, you're talking about a 47, 48-yard touchdown run. That's a signature play. Instead, it's still a gorgeous signature play that did not go for touchdown. Still an unbelievably great run. Look at the head fakes. Look at the shoulder fakes. Look at the cutting on a dime. Look at the acceleration from those cuts. Look at the burst of speed. Look at every single thing. Just those four-yard runs sneaking down between two defensive linemen when there's barely a hole there because they were they were trying to stuff the run. Look at every single thing that Kalen Laburn did in that game, and you just tell me that that there's a team in the country that wouldn't say, I want this guy on my team. Every everybody would want to have that guy and that production that he has done 
through two games. And oh, another little stat. Don't know if you saw it. <laughs> it is the first time in the history of Marshall running backs. Think of all the ones that we've had that their first two games were 100 plus yard productions. That's um, not a stat that I saw, but we don't need to run down the list of all-time greats, you know, to think guys like Parker, Chapman, Bradshaw, Johnson, none of those guys, Knox, didn't get 100 yards in their first two games. That's that's unbelievable. That's, that's an unbelievable stat. stat. That's the stat I saw, and if, I, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, it came from uh, Steve Cotton, very reliable on the stat front. Very reliable. More so in the early on than the old ESPN Worldwide Leader, I'll tell you that, because <laughs> yeah. I know Marshall doesn't have 29 sacks in the, in the uh, early going. That's their yardage from their four <laughs> sacks that they have. Yeah. Also, I don't think Bowling Green's averaging 172 or whatever it is tackles per game. I mean, if they are, it's because they went through seven, <laughs> seven overtimes, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, they did, but I still don't see them averaging 172 unless unless they're doubling and tripling up on gang tackles and giving everybody <laughs> one tackle. I don't know. All right. Let's keep it in the Marshall backfield. Whatever could we be talking about for number know. four? I don't know. Rasheen Ali was photographed back in pads, in helmet, at martial practice, and he's going to be back soon. Back soon. See, uh, we were trying to put out the fires of worry, right? Because we were trying to tell folks, hey, nothing has been said like, He's out for the year. So there's no reason to speculate he's out for the year. And again, this is another case of where it's easier to be optimistic than worrisome. So if you just pump the freaking brakes, take a breath and realize, hey, things happen. You know, if he got a little dinged up, maybe they didn't want to put that out there for the world to know. Just let the kid get healed up. Let him get back yeah. to 100% and we'll see. I always felt confident that we would see him back um, maybe before Troy, but at least after Troy, we would see him before game five. So does that mean he's playing this weekend? No, but he, he may, but, um, he was at practice. This was not some paparazzi scenario where somebody was hiding, you know, in a trash can with their camera lens cut through a hole of the side of the trash can. This was the official Marshall football, you know, social media accounts that took those pictures and put those out there. So, um, Obviously, they want you to know that he's getting close to being back. Um, we don't know how healthy. We don't know a status. But if he's in pads and he's holding the helmet, he's pretty daggone close. He's pretty daggone close. Uh, I'm going to reach over here and grab my old speculation hat, throw it on, and uh, I'm going to say that we will not see him this week, uh, this Saturday, uh, in the game. We may not even see him dressed on the sidelines. He may be there. He just won't be in uniform. Purely speculation on my part. It will be a coin flip, in my opinion, if he plays against Troy. But I think by Gardner-Webb, October the 1st at home, you're going to see him come back. That's a great game to throw him in. Mm -hmm. uh, against a, a little bit of a, you know, we, we don't want to be viewed like Notre Dame viewed us. We don't want to view Gardner Webb like that, but let's face it. We're talking about a much wider gap. It would be a really good time to bring him back for that game. 
uh, get get a little bit of the rust off, that sort of thing, and then you've got him for the rest of the conference schedule. Yeah, I don't I don't foresee him dressing at all for Bowling Green either. There's no need to do it. I mean, we've seen early on that there are effective runners from top to bottom on this roster. There's just no need to take a chance. You may see him dressing at Troy in a like an emergency capacity if something crazy happens and several guys happen to go down and we just need some depth there. And I would still maybe think like, okay, well, he would be like the third option after, you know, Turner and, and you know, uh, uh, Payne and, and those guys, like if something happens and we just need that third running back. But, yeah, by Troy, no. Uh, Gardner-Webb is, is, the, is the great scenario to bring him in and try to get some game speed, get hits, try to make a few cuts and just see what it looks like, just see how he feels. And you can shut it down immediately if it's not 100%, and it probably won't affect the outcome of the game. Um, or if he's feeling good, you might let him take an extra carry or two just to just to get things working and then shut it down and and then be ready to roll for, you know, the uh, the gauntlet of the Sunbelt schedule. But it, mm-hmm. any way you slice it, herd fans take a friggin breath. Ali number 22 is back in pads and uh, edging ever closer to a return. This is not repeat, not an out for season scenario, just like we tried to tell you weeks ago. And now we kind of preface this earlier, uh, weeks and weeks and weeks ago, uh, very first episodes that we had when we were breaking down the running backs. And then we were talking about going into the season before the spring game, all this different things we were talking about having Rasheen Ali and then Kalen Laburn to come in and spell him and then have some sets where we have a two back set. Mm-hmm. Now we've seen two games of what Kalen Labron can do. I'm just so excited now that you know, because before it was a hypothetical scenario. Yeah. Now now you've got game film stats. I've seen it with my own two eyes type deal. It's a scary, scary thing what we could do come conference time. Yeah, it's super scary. And we continually talk about the weapon that, Rasheen Ali is out of the backfield, so you can line up with a two-back set and still end up with basically four wide, or you know yeah. what I mean, like it or five wide. It doesn't matter. You 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 know you can your 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 flexibility, your creativity with with a guy like that back in the lineup just is off the charts. Is off the charts, and I still feel like we haven't had to show our hand. Even playing Notre Dame, we didn't have to do anything super special, fluky or crazy wild. We just ran right at him. And and short passes and so I still feel like there is plenty left to be shown from this herd team, you know, when situations arise that we may need to get a little bit more creative. I mean, I feel like we've been pretty vanilla in what we've had to do to win these two games. This is this is setting up to be potentially pretty special. Let me throw another situation slash scenario out there. Cam Fancher is your quarterback. <laughs> Ali Laburn split backfield, triple option, uh, RPO, all this different stuff. Which one of these three guys that can run all over someone is going to get the ball? That's another weapon that I just can't wait to see. Uh, Maybe we try it out, you know, Gardner-Webb maybe. You know this is going to make me like cringe a little bit, but I have to say it. It gives you – Steve Slayton, Pat White, Noel Devine vibes. 
right? For that backfield of just sheer athleticism and dangerousness from those Rich Rod WVU teams several years ago. I, I do not like talking and comparing that type of setup to our setup, but that's what it kind of looks like. You've got, you know, a, a power guy that can still run away from you. You've got the speed guy who's got the moves, who can make the plays out of the backfield, and you've got that ever-elusive, dangerous, game-speed-breaking quarterback of a runner as well. What a terrible mismatch for defensive coordinators in the Sun Belt. Holy crap. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to reference – those dudes up north anymore but you know once it was pointed out to me that uh fancher has an eerie similarly looking you know makeup to pat white uh that backfield is kind of what that could look like and that was dangerous then it could be even more dangerous with the added receiving weapons that Marshall is both bolstering and and those willing blockers that I'm going to talk about later on when we talk about this Notre Dame game. I'll tell you how bad it hurts me to bring up a comparison like that. I'm not going to. All right. Yeah. Number, number five, Swim and Dive is joining the Missouri Valley Conference for 2023. And then, you know, it wasn't really stated in there, but it's already been announced that Sunbelt will be sponsoring it in 2024 moving forward. So had to find a home for one year, as we talked about on one show. Mm -hmm. And I think it was season one, episode nine, when we were talking about that. And we had some speculation hats on. This was one of the conferences they would go. I actually said, let them just go independent. You and I said that might work, but now we have an answer. Yeah, we do have an answer. And the cool part about that is, you know, I was okay with going independent. You know, you just schedule mm -hmm. a few meets and, you know, half a dozen or so. You try to get in on some invites and 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 make a season of it. But now they get the opportunity in a one-year season to go in and steal a conference championship, which would be cool. I mean, Very you roll cool. into the Missouri Valley Conference and you and you win the conference championship, you throw up the peace sign and you head back over to the Sun Belt. I mean, yeah. that, that makes for something pretty cool. I would love to see that happen. That would make for, you know, one of those weird wild trivia questions that could win you, you know, two free combo meals down at the union. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Bring them back old times, old times. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy for uh swim and dive. I'm happy for those uh, athletes that get to have a conference home for one year. This was the only team that was up in the air. The only kind of thing because Sunbelt sponsored everything, but this, uh, of course, at the time when it was announced, they had not announced soccer, but we all knew what was going to yeah. happen with that. Um, but this is just really cool. It's also indicative of Christian Spears, this entire athletic department, how they want to take care of every single um, sport that we sponsor. You know, every athlete matters. Every sport matters to them that they want to give them the best possible scenario. How easy would it have been to say, well, it's coming back in a year, you know, right. just, you know, no, they went out and got something done. This shows you how much they care about every sport here and every athlete here. Uh, it's just different. Yeah, it is different. It, it, you, you're right. It would have been really easy to go, you know what, we'll drop back and punt and we'll just prepare for the Sun Belt Conference, um, you know, in 2023. And that wasn't good enough, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's, it, it's never initially just good enough with this administration. 
And if there's a way to improve, then we're going to improve. And if mm -hmm. there's a way to get it done, we're going to get it done. And as a herd fan, if that doesn't just hit you in, in all the right areas, then I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's turning my fandom up a notch and it was already pretty high. You know, yeah. I've always been a pretty, pretty positive herd fan. And, uh, you know, to see that everybody is, is being taken care of to as best as they can, you know, then that's what you're really after. So let's go steal us a conference championship from the Missouri Valley. Shall we Here, here. <laughs> All right. That brings an end to our five things for this week. And again, as always, they're brought to you by ignite link. Hit those guys up. Yep. Appreciate our, uh, pals over at ignite link. Um, give them a follow on Twitter at ignite link. Uh, head to the website at ignite.link and see if they have any of the IT solutions that your business requires. Russ, the main meat and potatoes of this episode is the football recap from Notre Dame, and we're going to look ahead and preview the game this weekend against Bowling Green. But look, you were in South Bend, Indiana. I was. And, and I wish that I could have gone, of course. It was, you know, one of those once-in-a-lifetime potentially type moments, but the logistics were just not there for me. I was fortunate enough to find a watch party down here in Palm Harbor, Florida, where I celebrated and watched the game with, I don't know, maybe 20 or so heard fans from the local area, including um, what I found out after the game was uh, one of our commits for the 2023 class. So that's pretty cool. I'm not going to bring any names up because I don't really know all the rules about that kind of stuff. And if it's cool and if it's not cool, so uh, whatever, I had a moment to talk about uh, the herd and, and visit with uh, him and the family. And it was a really good conversation. And, you know, the cool part about that is before we get into the game, I said, uh, yeah, you know, we were talking about how rough it is being a, a herd fan all the way down in Florida. You don't get to see him play every week. I can't drive across town like you can and just go to the game. And I said, yeah, well, you know, I'm a host of a podcast. I do a podcast with my friend. And, and you know, that's kind of how I try to stay closer to the program. And they said, uh, oh, what's it called? I told them. They're like, hey, we listen to you every week. We, <laughs> that's that's Does, uh, doesn't that's, everybody. I hope so. I mean, if they're not, what the heck are you even doing in life right now? It should be uh, death taxes and the Thundercast. I mean, that's the three certainties of life right now. But, uh, no, it was pretty cool. So, look, the Notre Dame recap, 26-21, to going to go down forever in herd lore as a score that most people will never forget, and rightfully so. This brings the herd to 2-0 and on this young season, currently ranked just outside the top 25 at number 26 in the Associated Press poll and number 32 in the USA Today coaches poll. Um, from the outset, I got to say, I was wrong. I, I like the herd to go in and keep it close, but not be able to pull out that victory. Uh, you know, it's just, you can't really tell much when a team goes and plays no, uh, Ohio State close in Columbus. And Notre Dame did that. So I didn't really think the herd would be able to Definitely not, quote, handle Notre Dame. I thought it would be a hard-fought game, and I thought, you know, the herd would keep it close. I was just hoping to keep a, keep everybody healthy and make a respectable show, and boy, oh boy, it went far beyond keeping it respectable. Uh, the herd didn't just gain some respect. They went into South Bend, Indiana, and took some freaking respect from a lot of people, and they deserve every bit of it. So, Russ, you had it from the get-go. You said, no, Listen to me here. I can't remember. I think you said 28 to 23 or something like that. I mean, pretty 
damn close. Uh, so you were right once again, and I was wrong. What what was that? I'm you're you're cutting out. Did you say that I was right and you're wrong? Yeah, you were right, and I was wrong, and I'll, I'll gladly be wrong. Twenty eight to twenty three, and it was twenty six to twenty one. Yeah, I believe that you had him thirty four seventeen. Thirty four to seventeen. Yep. That's yeah. Right. So I don't know, man. I'm not trying to sound like you know I had it way closer than Kirk Herbstreet, who everyone's given a lot of <laughs> a lot of credit to online. You know, I'm not going to bring that up. You know. I'm not going to talk about how you predicted that the team that we love was going to lose by double the score. I'm not going to bring that up. Okay. All I'm, all I, no problem, man. All I'm going to do is say, I told you so, and everyone should listen to me at all times. <laughs> well, that's all I'm going to say. I am not a betting man. So I've never been one for, well, I think we know uh, choosing scores and picking all the winners. So that's why oh, I'm you're not really a betting good man. At it. Yeah, I'm great at it. That's why I don't bet games. Uh, but no, yeah, I mean, first of all, I've said I said this before in social media this past weekend. I will gladly be wrong every single yeah. week if it yeah. means the herd keeps going and putting them in the left hand column. That's right. That's all that matters to me. I don't care about being right. I'm glad that you're right. I mean, that looks that good for you. That's that that means you kind of have your finger on the pulse of some things. But name, uh, name someone in the country that got it closer than me. I don't know. I Let's mean, list I, them all. There's I, none. There I, I is none. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm I'm not trying to just brag on that. I'm just saying, how could anyone have gotten any closer than that? I mean, it was the exact point spread, and it was just two points up for yeah. for both. I can't imagine anyone got any closer. Now, was that because I'm just ridiculously good at this? No, you know, I saw some things and I thought that it would turn out that way. I really hoped it turned out that way, but I also could have seen the score that you got or even worse. You know, you don't know how things go with in a game of inches or a game of yards or something, or, you know, tip balls or drop passes or uh, bad calls by the referees that they miss a call or something. Luckily we had none of that. And we went up and did what I thought that we could do. That to me was um, probably the most glaring thing. I'm going to just kind of brush over the game itself. And as it got late in the game and Marshall was winning and it was a tight game, I kept thinking, okay, this is the point to where the referees are going to make their presence felt. And they never did. So I have, for the first time in a long time, zero, zero gripes with officiating i think they did an amazingly down the middle fairly called game when it was a penalty it was called when they when when it could have went either way they just let them play right and nothing was egregious i don't think anybody either team got away with anything so that was that was refreshing you know because far too many times you see these big teams these big prestigious programs who are on the heels of losing a game and then something happens that changes the trajectory of that game from an officiating standpoint, and it didn't happen in this game. It just did not happen. So that was great to see. Very refreshing. In our post-game spaces, my uh, phone, whatever, uh, signal cut out to where I couldn't explain, uh, you know, and you were saying just that after I had said, you know, at the end of the game, I thought the refs were going to take it. And what I was trying to reference uh, before it cut out was – I could not see 
in the stadium with the benefit of what everyone was able to see until I came home Sunday and rewatched the game. I was under the impression that they called a late hit on the quarterback, which I didn't see, or something that wasn't targeting but still unnecessary roughness that I couldn't see, and that that's why they took away the final interception in the end zone that we would have gotten before they scored. And going back to watch, it was clear as day. They were in an up-tempo. They had to hurry. Seconds were melting off the clock. Charlie Gray did not get off the field in time. We had 12 people on the field. Excellent call by the refs. It's the correct call. Uh, Notre Dame may or may not have been trying to do that on on purpose to get, because it happened once earlier in the game as well, try to get an easy uh, stop of the clock and, and some more yards. Whatever it was, it allowed them to do that. But during the time in the stadium that I'm seeing it live, without the benefit of listening to what the refs called, I was just sure, here we go. You know, here here it goes. They're going to give them a, another chance uh, because that was an interception, you know. Um, but I was too thrilled, especially after re-watching the game at every call. Uh, they, like you said, let them play. Mm-hmm. And there, there were times that, you know, defensive backs from both teams had their hands on there. Unless they were egregiously holding a jersey like we did one time, they did not call it. Mm-hmm. You're right. And so I can't um, – I, I think that just drives home even more so how convincing that it was. You know, mm-hmm. Notre Dame didn't have that play to creep back into it. Um, if anything, it's like Marshall was letting Notre Dame hang around, you know, mm-hmm. because they were in control of that game, most of it. Yeah, we, yeah. you know, but about the only guy that we could not keep in check was that All-American tight end that we talked about, which would be the real weapon. He went over 100 yards receiving, had the touchdown. He was a real mismatch. He was. Um, you, you know, the quarterback, Tyler Buckner, who unfortunately uh, went down with what is now being reported as potentially a season-ending injury on a play that looked fairly routine, um, which is completely unfortunate. Um, You know, we here at the Thundercast wish nothing but a fast, speedy, full, and complete recovery for Tyler Buckner. He really jammed his shoulder, especially looking at it at the angle that it hit. It is his non-throwing shoulder, which will be much better for a quarterback. But you're looking at easily six to eight weeks that he's going to be out and at that point you know does he come back for the bowl game might as well just keep him out let him heal uh he's got a long career hopefully ahead of him and we never ever want to see injuries yeah but he was the only real other weapon i mean he was leading the team and rushing or you know one of the top two and you know he was he was he was trying to get things done for them. The problem was the stifling her defense was up to the task. Uh, they just played lights out. You know, I think as a herd fan, I was, um, I don't know what to say. I was, uh, I, I think I let history creep in to my mindset. I wouldn't allow myself to get too excited because too many times I'd seen Marshall, go toe-to-toe for so long in a game and then something happened and we just could not recover. You know, yeah. the, 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 the momentum shifted over to the opposition and never shifted back. And, and That's I right. think I was setting on just kind of waiting for that to happen. 
And every time there would be a little bit of milestone in the game, like, okay, it's nine to six or nine to seven, whatever at halftime, no matter what happens, we're going to say we were leading at halftime, you know, and then we were leading at the end, the end of the third quarter. And I was like, okay, no matter what happens, we can say we were leading after three, you know, and they get the touchdown to start basically the fourth quarter. And, you know, we kind of go back and forth a little bit in the fourth quarter. And then Marshall goes on this, I don't know what you want to, I don't want to, I don't think epic, I don't think monumental, and I don't think historic actually encapsulates what this drive will eventually, you know, come into, come to be known as. But it's a 94-yard late fourth quarter touchdown drive to go ahead at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. As time passes, that that drive will grow in legend. Right. Just mm-hmm. like you and I, as the dorks that we are, go back and watch the final drives of the Nash, the 99 Motor City Bowl or the, the late drives of the 2001 GMAC Bowl. We go watch those. We go watch that final drive in the game against Clemson. And those plays, those signature heard plays stick out in your head as time goes by. That's going to be one of those drives. Speaking of uh, the refs interjecting themselves, that drive against Clemson was 174 yards that we had to do because they kept every time we do something, let's hey, they couldn't possibly be doing this correctly. Let's take it back from them. And then we would just do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the drive that I keep thinking about is to stay perfect uh, in the 99 Mac championship game. And you've got Pennington who is not known for his wheels br- busting off a 39, 40 some yard run. Uh, you know, all the different things that just went perfectly uh, in that. Uh, but yeah, this one, given the context of who it was against and where it was against and all of that gotta be right up there. Well, I mean, if it were a 60 yard drive, you'd mm-hmm. be like, okay, that, that was impressive, mm-hmm. but 94 yards after the first 94 plus the first two was basically, we were in, it was third and a third and eight, I think is what it was. So we were down to, if we don't get that there, they just scored put us back on the six yard line. We had only gotten two yards in the first two uh, plays of that drive. So we're looking at third and eight. You don't get it there. You're punting out of your end zone. You know, they're going to get it on the 50. If at the best case scenario with the lead, with the lead. And it just totally, totally shifted everything right there on that third down play. You found it on, uh, on Twitter. Somebody else had posted that video and you, you retweeted it. Um, and and showed that huge, huge uh, short pass to Devin Miller to where he gets 11 yards, 13 yards, whatever it was, to to keep that drive alive. And then from there, we just ate him up, man. Yeah. We ate it, him up. It was a few plays later that the aforementioned 42-yard run from LeBourne happens. Yeah. So it, these are those special drives. You, you know, you can pick a play out or two plays out or three plays out from that game and say, man, this, what a great play that was. What a great play this was. And then when you go, damn, they were all on this one drive. That's Mm. how these drives become epic and historic. I want to talk real quick about how their fans, but also people that would maybe be our equivalent over there only in written form, uh, that everything they said about Marshall and, you know, even some post game saying, Oh, Marshall upset us because we didn't play very well or, or this and that 
a lot of people didn't give Marshall the credit that they deserve because we went up there and we took it to them playing the game that you and I said that we could mm-hmm. with our defense, how, how good it was, you know, our running backs, how good they were, how precise Henry Columbia could be, you know, all the things that we said that were our strengths and strengths and saying that they, he did not have a very established running game and they would not be able to run very well against our defense that we had shut down corners and defensive backs and they were not that impressive except for their tight end. You know, all this stuff that we said, I want to tell you a little bit about, I don't know, maybe you've seen this, but first downs, Marshall 21, Notre Dame 22. Third down efficiency, Marshall four for 13, Notre Dame four for 13. Total yards, Marshall 364, Notre Dame 351. Passing and rushing were inverted for both teams to get to those, so I won't compare those. Penalties, Marshall had six for 44, and one of those was late to kind of make an imbalance. Notre Dame four for 30 yards. Possession, Marshall, 30 minutes and 47 seconds. Notre Dame, 29 minutes and 13 seconds. That, to me, looked like two very evenly matched teams that the score made it a lot closer, like you said, at the end than it actually was. We went up there. We played our game. We dominated them. No offense to Notre Dame. I think they're a great program, but we are not. But they're not the better team. They are not the better team. The scoreboard showed it. The plays showed it. Go back and watch that game objectively without any kind of, you know, Notre Dame bias or whatever. And you just tell me which of the two teams were better. And almost on all fronts, you would say, man, if that team didn't have that tight end, they would have been nowhere near Mm -hmm. Marshall. Nowhere near Marshall. The defense for us was better. We beat them in turnovers. We beat them in every facet of the game. Special teams, we had a couple of uh, little miscues. But but that even speaks to how good this team is. They that's could, right. Over, that's what I was talking about, those plays that in the past would have changed the course of the game. Yeah. You know, a missed extra point, you're thinking, oh, that's that could be the difference in the game. And it was in the early going. You know, you get a punt that doesn't go anywhere. They get the ball right around midfield. Yeah. You're thinking, this is it. They're going to score yeah. quick, and they're going to get a three and out, and then they're going to score again, and this is where, you know, we fought hard up to that point. And it didn't yeah. happen. It didn't yeah, happen. It, it reminded me of Ohio State uh, up there. We had, uh, you know, the short miss uh, field goal. We had the nine-yard punt or whatever it ended up being. Uh, they throw down Nugent kicks a 55 yarder that was good for another 28 yards. It looked like <laughs> in the stadium. Um, it reminded me of WVU, how we were just dominating them in 2010. And then they came back, forced it into overtime and they won. Yeah. It just reminded me in so many ways of those playing those bigger programs with infinitely more dollars than we have and all the advantages and, we showed that we were there and then we just couldn't close it out except for on this one. We just kept getting better. You know, we just kept getting better. Yep. We got, we got over the hump. That's, that's all there was. Let me, without, you know, getting into this anymore, I'm going to, I'm going to pose this to you. If you take those teams, you swap their helmets and uniforms, they play the same exact game and the score comes out the same. The, the um, narrative is now Marshall fought hard, but they just couldn't get it done. 
Exactly. That's what the narrative is. Notre Dame, you know, Marshall gave them all they could handle, but Notre Dame was just too much. And that's now what let, big now programs do. That's, that's right. what they would have said. Now let's flip it back to what it was. Notre Dame gave Marshall all they could handle, but it just wasn't enough. Yeah. Right. It's not enough to beat Marshall. You that's know, right. That, that's, that's exactly what they should have been saying. And there's still some talking heads out there that aren't giving us the Sun Belt, App State, Georgia Southern. They're not giving us our due. And they're saying, oh, it was a monumental upset. I don't think that it was. I don't by think the, it was either. By the way, I said 28 to 23 and that we needed to have more. Uh, we need to shut them down defensively. We need to have more turnovers than them. We did all of that. Yeah, we sure did. Let's get into some stats here, shall we? Yeah. Uh, you you kind of took my indicators in the point you were making earlier, so I don't need to go back over those. The only thing you didn't cover was turnovers. Now, this turnover margin, this does not count turnovers on downs. Okay, this is just impact play turnovers. Yeah. Marshall holds a 3-0 to zero turnover uh, disparity. They grabbed three interceptions on the day, did not turn the ball over at all. Henry Columbia, another Pretty good, efficient day passing through the air. 16 of 21, uh, 145 yards and one touchdown. You mentioned before that he now leads the nation in completion percentage, 85.1% completions. And again, just one turnover through this uh, young two-game season, and that was a tip ball interception into the end zone. So Henry's really lighting it up, doing what we need him to do, and you know, just moving the ball. That's all you need to do. Kalon LeBourne, 31 carries, very workhorse type day. I mean, 163 yards, one touchdown on the day, 5.3 yards per carry with a long of 42, that beautiful signature 42-yard play. I hope we see more of those. I hope the signature list is pretty freaking long this season, but that one is a beauty. Uh, you mentioned men, uh, the Doak Walker National Running Back of the week. Jaden Harrison is your leader in the clubhouse and tied for receptions with Corey Gamage with three, but uh, Harrison leads in yardage of 38 yards. Devin Miller is the guy, is the guy. Two catches, 14 total yards, and a touchdown. Both catches coming on that epic 94-yard go-ahead touchdown drive. You mentioned the third and eight. I, I call it a third and ten because that's what the graphic said on TV. I don't really know what it was, but... It might have um, been. It might have been. The clutch, clutch, clutch conversion on that third down that allows that drive to continue to where we see the signature run by Kalon LeBourne a few plays later and then he gets the touchdown reception in the end zone I said it on Twitter Columbia to Miller is now etched in herd football history forever it's right there with Pennington to Moss it's right there with Leftwich I mean uh, Pennington to Moss Leftwich to Watts and Cato to Schuler. it all falls in the same category. There are very few touchdown receptions that are going to be bigger than this one. Uh, all in all, the herd racks up 364 total yards, 219 on the ground. They go over 200 for the second consecutive game on the ground. You mentioned just 4 of 13 on third down and 0 of 1 on fourth down, and I think those things speak to just how dominating of a performance this was for Marshall. They didn't have to be perfect on third down. They didn't have to go 10 of 13. They didn't have to go perfect on fourth down to win this game. The offensive line once again was dominant in moving bodies along that Notre Dame defensive line. Special shout-outs to guys like Stacey Marshall and Talit Keaton, Caleb McMillan for making big plays, being willing blockers. I told you I was going to mention that term earlier in the episode. Those guys are willing blockers on the edges to continually open lanes, make lanes for our receivers to get extra yardage. This is a full 
team that has bought in. Everybody is willing to do what needs to get done for some team success. You heard Coach Huff say they thought that they were thinking that our team uh, talent was better than the individual talent of Notre Dame. And I think this is the type of thing that speaks to that. And once again, let's talk about that beautiful called back touchdown pass to Corey Gamage. That's the type of plays that we are expecting to see Corey Gamage make more and more where he goes up over not one, but two defenders in a body torquing touchdown reception. It's just a shame that it was called back defensively for the herd. Eli Neal and Andre Sam lead the way from tackles. Both get 10 tackles. Eli Neal, six solo. Andre Sam, five solo, a half tackle for loss and a pass defended. They tested uh, Andre Sam early in that game, and you could tell that they that was a guy they wanted to pick on. They thought, okay, if we can complete a few passes on this guy, then we found a weakness. Well, you didn't find a freaking weakness, champ. You found a guy that rose to the occasion and shut your wide receivers down. Yeah. So I put the tweet out there that it was an Andre Sam appreciation tweet, and I'm going to apologize to him for blowing up his mentions for the whole <laughs> week because that one kind of caught fire. But, you know, you got to give him his due – we noticed that in real time as we were watching the game from the watch party that 20 was everywhere. He was everywhere early in that game. So special shout-out to him. On, um, Abraham Bow playing six tackles, three of those solo, and a half tackle for loss. The Herd allows 351 total yards as a defense, only 130 yards on the ground, bringing their total now to 80 yards per game on average. Just unbelievably impressive they also hold Notre Dame to four of 13 on third down 22 total players recorded a tackle for the herd uh, and 14 of those guys recorded multiple tackles impact plays for the herd two sacks on the day three interceptions one pick one of those was a pick six and of course two gigantic fourth down stops one early on in a pass play that went when uh, that was the receiver was shoved out of bounds and then a stuffed run later in the game. Micah Abraham and Owen Porter both get interceptions. That's Micah's second two and two games, and now two impact plays for Owen Porter, the scoop and score in week one, and the interception in week two. And, of course, Stephen Gilmore with the uber-clutch pick six of the 37 yards late in the game to basically seal that game. Uh, Reese Verhoff, two of two on field goals with a long of 21 and two of three on extra points. John McConnell, five points for a 36-point yard, eight-yard average, three of which landed inside the 20. Russ, I want to real fast, and I mean real fast, revisit our keys to victory. I'm going to talk about what I had. If you want to chime in, you can, but I'm going to get you onto your grades where you can touch on those if you want to. Uh, my keys to victory, number one, I said we had to be consistently good. And Marshall was consistently good all day long. And even when they came up short on a play here or there, stopped on a fourth down, shanked a punt, whatever the case may be, missed an extra point, they were still able to continue to rise to the occasion and play consistently good all day. So check that box for the herd. Number two, I said we had to maximize our opportunities. And what I meant by that was scoring touchdowns instead of kicking field goals. Well, we did that a couple of times. We kicked that field goal. We had to. We couldn't get it in the end zone. So if Marshall gets a touchdown extra instead of a field goal, this really is a more lopsided game. So those are, those are things that Coach Huff spoke to in his uh, press conference yesterday, and he knows that uh, you know we need to be a little bit more, a little bit better down there in the red zone. And I think we'll see the herd come out of this moving forward a little bit more um, lethal in the red zone. Number three, I said I said the herd needed to stay in the moment and play confident. 
check that box. They did not let the uh, environment of Notre Dame Stadium and 78, 80,000 strong intimidate them whatsoever. They proved they were the better team from the opening whistle to the end whistle. So check that box. And number four, I said the herd could never fold. And as a fan, as a, as a cautious fan sitting there waiting to see that moment that would change the course of the game, like I've seen so many times, I never saw that because the herd never folded. So they checked all of my boxes with the exception of the point I made about kicking field goals instead of getting touchdowns. They went four for four or three and a half for four, and you see the herd come out with a victory. So excellent all-around effort. I mean, geez, do you ha- do you want to revisit your points now, or do you want to talk about them as you do grades? No, I kind of already talked about them earlier on uh, when I was talking about the score prediction and the things that I said that we needed to do. Uh, so I don't want to go back over them. The only thing I want to talk about is uh, where you said the kicking field goals instead of getting touchdowns during the game while I'm there in the stadium, not having the benefit. It's the far end of the end zone at that point for me. Uh, well over 120 yards away and I'm sitting here going no go for it go for it go for it it was 100% the right call yeah it was to, to put to put the points up on the board and you're looking at if you don't if you go for it and you get stopped and then they get a long drive you're looking at then we have a totally different ball game you know, yeah. would we still win yeah I think we would have but it's hard to tell what would have happened you know Momentum is a very cruel mistress. And I think that it was almost a perfectly called game by the coaches, not only, you know, during the game, but the game plan leading up to it. You know, I talked to someone, a former player uh, yesterday who was talking about the script that you have and how you might not even see the script until later in, you know, like the entire game script might be in not until the second half or sometimes teams may do like East Carolina against us. They showed all, we didn't get to show our script in the first half because of all the errors that kept happening and everything. And then we use that to come back. That was excellent points by that man. And I just feel like our coaches had them prepared. They had them not only with the game plan, but the mentality of, they're not better than you. We're yep. going up. We're not going up here to be intimidated. We're going up here to show them who Marshall is. Yep. And that's what we did. Yep. So I, I was by no means saying you go for it on a fourth down. No, I'm no, I know like, you weren't. You have to get it in the end zone on fir- first through third downs, right? No, but no, you're right. Yeah. It was a hundred percent the right call. You take the points, and I actually tweeted during the game. You probably didn't see this. I actually tweeted during the game that you take the points, you keep chopping wood. And yeah. you keep working. You sure. can't go broke making a profit. And at that point, we were just adding to the lead, right? So yep. it was a hundred percent the right call. We find out now, without question, in the in the in the uh, press conference from yesterday, that Clint Trickett is at, in fact calling the plays. It's something we thought was happening anyway, but that was just confirmed through conversation in the in the press conference. So you're right, almost a perfectly called game by Clint Trickett. Kudos to him for for and the defense I, as well with Gidry. Oh yeah, yeah. kudos to, to to our coordinators for dialing up, you know, two of the best called sides of a ball in a game in a in a really long time. So let's move yeah. to grades, Russ. What do you have for the offense as a whole? 
A plus. Um, I don't want to pick apart anything that the offense did because you're playing against. I know there was an announced crowd of a sellout in seventy six thousand plus. Uh, you know, we are generally not in that situation. We went up there and we didn't have any issues with, oh, there's a false start because the crowd's too loud or too big. I mean, there was just nothing. There was no, hey, we need to take a timeout because we're about to have a delay a game. There was nothing. We went up there and we played a beautiful A-plus grade offensive performance. There's nothing I can add to that. I mean, there, there's just really no need to add anything. You come out with a huge win. It doesn't matter. The, the biggest the biggest stat on the offensive performance is a zero, and it's zero turnovers. Yeah. I don't really care what happened any other time. We did our job, and we did enough to get a win. We took care of the football. That was the number one reason we were able to win that game. We never put ourselves behind the eight ball, and we came out with a win. Uh, quarterback play, what do you got for – Columbia and crew a plus again I can't take away anything uh it would be nitpicking to do so of saying well you know if he hadn't there was a guy open here that's the only time Devin Miller at one point the safety started cheating up and Devin Miller separated and he was all alone it could have gone for an 80 yard touchdown 70 some yard touchdown or whatever or Maybe he missed throws and it gets picked off. Mm -hmm. So it, it didn't happen. So I can't say anything more than, well, that was a missed opportunity. We actually took a sack on that uh, play. One of the three that we took or four that we took, I think it was three, but was that something that I would change? Yeah. But what could have been the outcome? You know, again, I'm not, I'm not complaining on anything. A plus. Yeah. A, the only thing I'll add to that is, you know, Henry started out rough. We, we we go, you know, three and out or whatever. And he misses his first few passes and then sticks with it and and turns in a much better performance. I mentioned the, you know, the overall, what was it, 16 of 21, but he probably started 0 of 3 or 0 of 4 or something he like had, that. He had 11 completions in a row at one time. Right. So, yeah. you know, the stat line is a little misleading, but when you take into account that you start off, you know, 0 of 3, 0 of 4, whatever, and then you dial it back in to turn in the performance that you did, it makes the grade even better. So yeah. it's not that it, it's, it doesn't go from an A plus to an A for me because of the start. It's because of the start, you dialed in even more and turned in an A-plus performance. Defensively, what do you got for this herd? A-plus-plus. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so definitely uh, top to bottom. I, I just knew that they were going to stop the run. And if you didn't have the scrambling of Tyler Buckner, some on design plays, uh, it would have been even more egregious on, on the yardage that that we held them to um, defensively for the defensive backs. I mean, just shutting down everybody, but mayor uh, I I've got a new nickname that I need to throw out for somebody. Micah Abraham, where's number six. He's now pick six. I know that he didn't take <laughs> one. I know. I know he didn't take one to the house yet, but there's your new nickname. Maybe I'll tweet it at him. Let him know. He's got a new nickname. Maybe change that Twitter handle. I don't know, man. I kind of like Iceman. I like, 
I like it too. I like it too. uh, You know, he was in the all whites. They were in the thunderstorm trooper uniforms. They call them the icy whites sometimes. And you know, he, he, the Iceman showed out again. I mean, two picks in two games. Maybe just change the name then, you know, pick six and then at Iceman, you know. (laughs) Oh, it's an actual name. I got you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, overall great defensive effort. You're right. If if Buckner doesn't rack up 40 or 50 yards rushing or whatever the heck he had, you're looking at a really, really dominant performance for the herd on the ground defensively, probably under 100 yards a lot to, to Notre Dame. They get three turnovers and take one to the house. What more can you talk about? Geez, just an o- otherwise all-time performance for the defense in this game. Special teams, uh, Verhoff. Continues to hit those field goals. We'll attribute that first extra point to, hey, man, being a freshman at Notre Dame. Geez, I mean, the moment is big. And to speak to that, just like we talked about Columbia, he settled right back down and then went perfect for the rest of the day. Uh, and so, I could I could say something about that missed extra point. I could say something about getting a punt uh, partially blocked. I could say something about a, a – not a shank, but a very, I think, 28 yards or something punt on another. I could pick that apart, but guess what? A plus. Yeah. We, we recovered an onside kick that is probably the best kicked onside kick I've ever seen in my life with the slow spinner. You know, you don't have to worry about a bounce or anything. He kicked it to right, say, hey, it's going to slowly go 10 yards. Your job is to go over there and scoop it up, uh, kicking team. And we... Corey Gamage scooped it up, iced the game. There's no no chance at that point for them to win. We kicked two field goals. I don't care how short they were, 20 and 21 yards. It's still you're kicking at Notre Dame where every single point is going to matter with 76,000 fans around. And the punting, yeah, we got one blocked. A couple others were close to being blocked. I don't care. A plus performance there too. Yeah, we made we didn't have to make any waves in the return game. Uh, they they had a couple of decent kick returns, but they still didn't go for huge yardage. No, and uh, that onside kick, I mean, in real time, it felt like that thing was on the ground for a half an hour. Yeah, I mean, I, I... imagine being there, man. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it was. I think that I could have ran down and scooped it up when it went 10 yards it from, from where I was like sitting. like it was on the ground forever. But thank God that Corey Gamage falls on the ball and seals that herd victory. Uh, coaching effort against Notre Dame. A++. Cannot say enough good. I think that we've already touched everything about that. Cannot say enough good about that. Yeah. So the last one, of course – is the fans. And uh, we, we it's been reported numbers between 5,000 and 6,000 fans made the trip. So however you want to slice it, it's a huge number. Mm-hmm. So what about the fans in uh, both Herd fans in South Bend and Notre Dame fans in the way they treated Herd fans? A plus from Notre Dame fans because every single person group that we went by, uh, nobody said anything negative. The ones that did say anything said, welcome to Notre Dame, which I always like to do. You know, you've been with me Mm -hmm. tailgating. I always always say, welcome to Marshall or welcome to Huntington. Thanks for coming. Glad to have you here. Good luck. That sort of thing. Everybody did that. I stopped and talked to several and told them that I try to do that for opposing fans. And 
every all of them just said, hey, it's special here. You won't find anyone saying anything bad. If you do, it'll be corrected by others very quickly. And if you hear any bad comments or anything in the stands, the ushers will take them out. Uh, a plus from those guys, class all the way, beautiful facilities. Uh, just a, I tell you how much they care about football up there. They had us park on a golf course. <laughs> we parked, we parked and tailgated on a golf course. Holy moly. Yeah. So, uh, who cares about that old golf course we've been, uh, taking care of all year. Go ahead and park right here, guys. <laughs> so, um, the fans for Marshall, I don't have enough pluses to put on there because, you know, we were talking about organic. We are Marshall's. We had them in droves. We had let's go herd in droves. We had defense in droves. Everything that we needed, we were loud on third down. And so there was a contingent that was in the touchdown Jesus end zone, the far, far end zone from where I was sitting with the most of the herd fans. Um, I ran into my neighbor at a gas station on the way to Indianapolis after the game that night. And she asked where I was sitting and I told her, and she said, you guys were so loud that from her perspective, our 4,000 or whatever we had up in that upper end zone section was as loud as the other 70,000 Notre Dame fans with the chanting. Uh, it was I mean, just at all times, never letting up. It was just, we are Marshall. We are Marshall. They would go on forever. I rewatched the game. You could hear it on there, even though, you know, you, generally you just hear a crowd being a collective, uh, or, oh, uh, or whatever. You could hear the chants, you know. At one time, Notre Dame, I think, tried to start a, we are Notre Dame. It did not end well for them. <laughs> we were louder than them, and we let them know who we are. So A plus 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 plus. I can't give enough pluses for our fans, and that's kind of what it takes. You know, you you need that contingency of support to, you know, uh, it just helps. I'm not saying that you got to keep the team motivated. They were motivated on their own. They could have played in front of you know, 500,000 exclusively Notre Dame fans, it seemed like, and they were just up to the task. But it's always nice when you have a good contingency to travel. So we're I want to talk about that point here in a little bit when we talk about the Bowling Green preview. Mm -hmm. But let's move along to your offensive MVP of the week. Laburn, um, without those runs, and I'm not even talking about the longer runs, without the – I have to dive and squeeze through here just to get four uh, without picking up two, without picking up six, all the smaller chunks that he had to do to give us an opportunity to get those first downs, to get those first downs on his own, to give us the yards that we needed so we're not punting so far back. Just a crazy effort from that guy, and that is why he's getting the Doak Walker running back of the week award. I mean, I echo that as well, but I've got to give a strong 1A to Devin Miller. Two of the most clutch plays of all time on the same drive. Uh, you know, the big yardage from LeBourne cannot go unnoticed, cannot go unappreciated because it's an all-time performance against an all-time opponent. Uh, but 
Devin Miller's two receptions, only two of the day, are what basically keep that game going and end up in a win for the herd. Now, I know you can't just say, well, if we don't have those two, you know, that pass could have gone to someone else and still been a third and 10 conversion. It could have been, but it goes to Devin Miller. That touchdown pass could have gone to someone else, but it goes to Devin Miller. Mm -hmm. So that can't just be tossed aside. Two of the largest catches in a two-catch performance that we may ever see or may – you know, may may not see for a long, long time. So that cannot fall on deaf ears. That cannot uh, go unappreciated. For all that LeBorn did to keep that game going, it's the even the two, you talked about the two-yard gains, the four-yard gains, the whatever-yard gains. Those two catches right there are as important as any other plays that we've seen, in not in that game, but in this entire season so far. And we may look back and go, you know, if not for that third and 10. We talked about this in the in the position group breakdown. Some things that, you know, in real time may not seem like a big deal, but when you go back and look at it, say, well, you know what, if he doesn't get that third and 10 conversion, then this. And that's yeah. one of those plays. That is one of those plays. Defensively, who's your MVP of the week? <laughs> Almost impossible, right? Yeah, I've got to just cop out and say the entire defense because – individual performances there were many and you know i could have done the same for the offense and and said hey that offensive line man yep. just killed it you know they did columbia killed it you know our receivers killed it i could have said that i actually have to cop out on defense because i mean just pick i mean pick i mean the penetration uh to pressure uh to hold them to the their running backs doing nothing, basically nothing. You know, everybody kept saying, oh, Chris Tyree, Chris Tyree. He did nothing. Uh, our shutdown corners, I mean, Gilmore nearly had another on uh, a, a throw to Mayer, the tight end, who made a very good hands catch on the sidelines. It was a dive by Gilmore and just closed yes, his hands. Me. I'm talking a centimeter. It had to have been through his hands to where he almost tipped it to where it couldn't have been. I mean, Micah Abraham, good night. Throwing to throwing to that guy's side. Why are you doing it? You know, I mean, he he got a, a I think a better jump on this ball than he did on the crazy good jump in the Norfolk State game. I mean, he basically had to stop and wait on the ball to get there. He was already in front of it so much. Um Owen Porter, you know, I mean, Bo Plan, everybody, you know, it was just it, top to bottom defense, just impeccable, man. Uh, I'm going to see your cop out and I'm going to call also the entire defense because you're right. You can't pick just one or two guys. It was team speed. It was gang tackling. It was the whole thing. There was never just one white hat near the ball. Never. It was at least two or three guys near the ball, even on those pass plays, even down the middle. The only time there was one hat near the ball, one of them went the other way for a pick six. The other one ended up with a herd possession as well. Uh, when your defensive end drops into coverage and gets himself an interception, I mean, you're having a special day. So the entire defense as a whole is just – they're the MVPs. They are. Yeah, I mean, there's no two ways to slice it. Special teams – Who's your MVP this week? 
I think you got to go Verhoff. Uh, the pressure of trying to kick in a stadium, like I said, with 75, 76,000 people in it, just got to be crazy, especially being a second game played as a freshman. I mean, there's so many other people that you could say about, you know, our returners, uh, even though they didn't have long runs, but just making the fair catches when they did, the all the, the different things. But if I've got to pick one, it's got to be Verhoff. It is Reese Verhoff. He's he's coming through again. The extra point was non-consequential. You know, the, the missed extra point, but he accounts for two field goals. That's six points. You win by five points. Do the freaking math. That's why it's not the that's why it's the right decision to take the points. Take the points in a game where points are at a premium. Every point could make a difference. We win by five. He accounts for six on two field goals and a couple extra points. Uh, but Coach Huff said it, and I'm going to drive this point home again. Six months ago, the kid was in high school. And a few days ago, he's kicking field goals and extra points to beat the number eight team in the country. Yeah, Give a little credit where credit is due. We as fans often look at our athletes and go, you know what, that's what you're supposed to do. You were brought in here to do that. Did you also forget what you were like at 18, 19? I did not. I didn't have my damn life together. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't right now at 43. So <laughs> right. So look at the magnifying glass. Look through the magnifying glass and examine the situation that some of these youngsters are in. No disrespect in calling them youngsters, but they're 18, 19, some of them 20-year-old kids. Some of them are a little older, are upperclassmen, grad students, transfers, things like that. But you're talking about a freshman, true freshman kicker who six months ago was waiting to walk across the stage and get his high school diploma. How about the cojones on that kid to fight, to fight back after a missed extra point to start his day, to then go perfect on field goals and go two for two remaining on extra points? MVP yeah. by far. Excellent. Yeah. Um, do you have just another other uh, MVP, something you want to mention that stuck out to you, either team-wise or support staff-wise, anything that you want to mention from this game? I think we've touched on it all. Coaches, fans, administration, um, offense, defense, special teams, how we interacted with the fans up there of Notre Dame, if Notre Dame fans, the people that were there, don't have a respect for Marshall top to bottom now, I don't know what it would take. So MVPs all around for the entire thing, man. The the experience was once in a lifetime, how we played on the field, how the coaches have gotten the players to buy into what we're doing. The players themselves, they've been talking about it since July. I went back and looked at some tweets from them where they were saying, we've got something special here. Look out. Yeah. They've been telling everybody. I've been telling everybody. You've been telling everybody. But now everybody's seeing it. I would think that you know, the the entire herd universe from top to bottom is the MVP this week. Players played, coaches coached. Fans cheered, people turned out, they spent money, they went and supported this team. The athletic administration took the steps they needed to do to make this game what it was. And now we all collectively have this memory that will live in our heads forever. Mm -hmm. um, and it's nice 
to see, you know, the fallout from that is a, a whole several new generations of herd fans are getting a taste of what you and I and so many fans remember being talked about by the media, being talked about on ESPN, showcasing, you know, what's going on in Huntington, West Virginia. That's not new to us. It's been a while since it's consistently happened, but let's not forget this was a team that was ranked 15 in the country two years ago. So it's not entirely new on that front either. But it's nice for younger fans to kind of get a gauge and say, you know what, you can win at Marshall. It's not always just about what happened in the 90s. These people talk about that all the freaking time. And yeah, we do. You know why? Because it was great. Because it's important to us and we hold it near and dear to our hearts because it was fun to be in that time. Mm -hmm. Hopefully this is the springboard to what we get to see now for a whole new generation of herd fans to go, man, that 2022 team was special. You know, that, that they were, they were a different animal, just like we talk about with so many other teams that are, that are close to us already. We're seeing the beginnings of that. They changed my mind a little bit. You know, I'm not as uh, cautiously optimistic anymore. I'm just flat optimistic. Um, I'm going to talk about some of the things that, you know, we'll have to keep in our minds as fans. And I know these players will moving forward, but for Notre Dame, let's enjoy this win. I mean, we've got business to take care of here in a couple of days in Bowling Green, Ohio, but for right now, this is historic. This is this, there's nothing left to be said. Um, when you see a game that shoots to the number two all time, what, what's, what's left What's left? I'm yeah, I mean, what more can you say, man, about every single thing? I, I mean, I could talk for two hours about what that weekend was. You know, the trip up, the trip back, the the people that I saw up there, uh, the experience during the game. It's just you're 100 percent right, man. Just what <laughs> I I'm almost speechless about what more I could say about our team right now and our fan base. There's nothing left to be said. We yeah. got business to handle. Let's transition to Bowling Green. We've got a big game this weekend in Bowling Green, Ohio. The game's going down Saturday, September 17th at 5 p.m. Eastern at Doit Perry Stadium in Bowling Green, Ohio. If you're not going to the game, which you should if you can, the game will be broadcast on NFL Network. Doit Perry Stadium is a 24,000-seat stadium that is – well known for needing the college fan to turn out. The students must turn out in order for there to be a real crowd. Now, Marshall coming to town, a lot of them probably will. But this is an opportunity for Marshall fans to go into an opposing stadium and turn it Kelly Green. If you put your minds to it as a collective fan base, you can go in there and turn that into a de facto home game for the herd. You want to talk about a home field advantage at that point? You flipped it to a Huntington advantage. And if you don't have tickets right now, they're only $28 through Herd Zone. Get them there instead of on Sub StubHub and help support Marshall and through its own ticket office. Always buy your tickets directly through Herd Zone or call 1 800 The Herd or 800 The Herd. However, you got it, your, get your tickets. If you can go, go. Please go. Turn that stadium Kelly Green. Uh, it would be amazing to go up there and see that game on TV and see 10,000 Marshall fans and about 400 Bowling Green fans. <laughs> that would be unbelievably cool. The game, weather-wise, it's going to be gorgeous. 84 and sunny, 
projected to be the kickoff weather for the game. Bowling Green is currently 0-2 on the season with losses to UCLA and a 7-overtime loss to Eastern Kentucky at home last week. This is the 30th all-time matchup between the Herd and Bowling Green with with, uh, BG holding a 21-9 all-time advantage. Although, let's put some parentheses around that. In the FBS era when Marshall moved back, to Division 1A ball in 1997. The Herd owns a 5-3 and three all-time record. Uh, but, but, this is the talking point that a lot of fans have been talking about this week. I actually put the video up of Coach Huff's answer to that question, which was pretty funny. Marshall only has two all-time wins in Bowling Green, Ohio. Way, way back in 1954, and kind of, sort of, way back in the year 2000. Now, I made, I made the point that this is for stuff like us to talk about. Like that's, that's the kind of stuff that we, oh, man, man, that's a concern. Marshall's only had two all-time wins in Bowling Green. Our current fans, or our current players, they don't care about that. Hell, a lot of them weren't even born in the year 2000. Right. <laughs> you know? So this is a new team. This is a new coaching staff. This is a new administration. This is a new freaking identity. That is irrelevant. If you think that's a factor, then you're just looking for a reason, right? Because I'm not. Lo- I'm usually that guy looking for a reason why it could go wrong. It's just a data point. It's just a talking point. Two and thirteen or two and whatever all time doesn't matter. I fully expect this team to go up and handle its business. Coach Huff had the the best answer: Is the field a hundred yards long? Yeah. Is it fifty three and a third yards wide? I almost made the. I, I almost made that uh, same Normandale and Hoosiers for Notre Dame. You know that we had to go up there and say. Hey guys, look, it's still a hundred yards. It's still 53 and a third, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad that we're taking that approach. So you can tell that the swagger level on this team is a little bit different. It's not cocky. It's confident. And there's a difference. Um, ESPN likes the herd in a, in an away game. Take this how you will, because ESPN power index also liked Notre Dame last week in a home game. Uh, but they like Marshall, a 95.6% chance to win. The Herd is currently, as we record here Wednesday, n- minus 16 and a half with an over-under of 52 if you're into that sort of thing. What Marshall does really well, Bowling Green doesn't do so well. Okay, the Herd's averaging 40 and a half points per game. Bowling Green's allowing 52. Uh, the Herd is uh, hitting off with 488 yards per game. Bowling Green's allowing 532. The Herd is only giving up 12 points per game on defense and 80 yards per game rushing on uh, defense, while Bowling Green only rushes for 92 yards a game. This could be ugly, and and I don't say that as, like, I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm not trying to take shots. Numbers are what they are. Bowling Green's 0-2 against UCLA and EKU. Marshall's 2-0 against Norfolk State and Notre Dame. It could get ugly, and it could get ugly early uh some players to look out for Russ. before we talk about the game we'll kind of get this moving along number three quarterback Mac, Mac, matt mcdonald six foot three 210 pound senior 40 of 74 on the season hovering around 50 percent completion percentage just 408 yards six touchdowns and no interceptions he's only been sacked twice take that for what it's worth also seven carries for 53 yards of positive yardage on the ground with one touchdown on the ground. He's Bowling Green's third leading rusher. Number 19 running back, Tehran Keith, a 5'9", 195-pound sophomore. 14 carries for 61 yards, leads the team. One touchdown on the ground. A couple of receivers we got to talk about. Number 11, wide receiver C.J. Lewis, 6'5", 
215-pound senior, six catches, 93 yards, two touchdowns through the air, leads the Falcon program. And number 88, tight end Christian Sims, six foot four, 240-pound senior, eight catches, 79 yards, and a touchdown. They're not really that lethal on offense. They're just not. They don't run the ball very well. They don't pass the ball that great, 50% completion percentage for the quarterback. I mean, it's been a tough road to hoe early on for this Bowling Green offense. Defensively, number three, safety, Chris Bacon, the six foot one, 195 pound senior, 14 tackles, 11 of those solo. They're really kind of mirror images of one another on defense. The three leading tacklers all have 14 total tackles on the year. Number 12, linebacker JB Brown, six foot two, 230 pound junior, 14 tackles, 11 of those solo. And he has a sack to, uh, his total as far as impact plays go. And then number 17, linebacker DJ Taylor, six foot one, 235 pound senior, also 14 tackles, eight of those solo. And he has adds an interception in the impact plays category. Across the board for impact plays, Bowling Green has eight sacks on the season, which is pretty darn good. Uh, two interceptions, one forced fumble, and two fumble recoveries. Russ. I mean, let's just get right to the point. What the heck do does Marshall have to do to get a win in this game? Show up. Show up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think that, and I don't foresee this being a problem, but uh, I think that they need to not be riding too high on the massive win that they had the week before. They need to just go up there, play how they are capable of doing, and take care of business. I mean, we don't really need to say, man, they're going to have to – really shore up that defense because, hey, we've got one of the best defenses in the nation. In fact, we are number 10 in the country right now in total defense. Number 10 after playing Notre Dame on the road. Um, this guy has not thrown an interception, their quarterback, yet. Well, we kind of specialize in that. We've had 52 attempts at passing against us and we have intercepted four already one every 13 passes we're intercepting so i mean i just don't see them one they can't ran run on eku they're not going to be able to run on us 54 percent doesn't really scare me i know he's got six touchdowns and no interceptions but that doesn't scare me either you know um i just None, nothing that they have scares me. It looks like they're in a rebuilding year or a down year, and they're hitting us at the wrong time to be trying to make any kind of – this is not a situation where I'm trying to act like the Notre Dame writers that were saying, well, it's just Marshall. I'm not downing them. I'm looking at the data that is here in front of me, and I just don't see it unless they play out of their minds against us. So this is less about what Marshall has to do on the field to win the game and more about what Marshall has to do in-house to win the game to me, right? Yeah. Number one, my number one key to victory for the herd is to block out the noise. Don't start listening to how good you are because you mm -hmm. beat Notre Dame. You were better than Notre Dame. Just like the men's soccer team was better than Pitt, they just needed to play the game. Marshall yep. was better than Notre Dame. They just needed to play the game. They needed to prove it to other people, I guess. They, they knew in-house that they were the better team. And they showed that. So block out the noise. It it's becomes toxic when you start to believe that you're really good. Maybe you don't prepare the right way. Maybe you don't do the small things, pr protect the details that lead to success on the field. So that's the biggest thing 
is to block out the freaking noise and just continue to go to work every day. Continue to believe that, hey, man, we haven't done anything yet. All of our goals, all the boxes that we need to check still need checked. So I, I have faith that that's the mentality and makeup of this team. But yep. to go in and get this win, that's what has to do. That w- That's what you have to do. You have to block out the noise, number one. What do you got next? It's it's kind of like what, what I had said against uh, Norfolk State, that we need to not have, like, three or more, like, ridiculous turnovers that change the game of, like, scoop and score, pick six, fumbles, that sort of thing. Uh, to where it's a 14 point swing, you know, we're getting ready to, to go in. I mean, it would take something massive like that. So again, I don't think that it's going to be a problem, but if I've got to list something, I've got to list that. Okay. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pull more keys to, if that's all you got, that's all you got. And that's, that's all I've got. Then I'm going to run through mine so we can get, get this done. I mean, not get it done, but get this point across. My number two key to victory, I mentioned this in the in the lead-in, is the past is irrelevant. It doesn't matter what happened in 2000. It doesn't matter what happened in 1954. You know, what happens is how you prepare for the week, how you game plan for the week, how you show up, how you come to work, and how you play in 2022. That's it. It doesn't matter what happened 20 freaking years ago. It matters to me. Because I was a student in the student section enjoying a great 1998 season or a great 2000 season only to see, you know, Bowling Green become a thorn in the side. But in 2022, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me that that Dwight Perry Stadium is whatever it is. It's a 24,000-seat stadium with a regulation-sized football field, two goalposts on either end of the field, and a thundering herd that's going to take field at 5 p.m. on Saturday. That's what matters to me. Number three, let them eat, right? Let these guys eat. Let them go out and show. Dude, that wasn't a fluke. Norfolk State wasn't a fluke. I don't care who you put in front of us. We're going to eat. Let LeBourne eat. Let Columbia eat. Gamage, Keaton, Ahmed, Montgomery, all of them. Gilmore, Abraham, Porter, Sam, Neil. How many guys do I have to name? Like we let that O line move bodies, let that D line rack up quarterback sacks, hurries, pressures, just everybody that can dominate. Just let them eat, man. Just let them have fun. Practice is the work. The game is the reward, right? So that's when they should be able to go out and just freaking have fun. And I think we're seeing a lot of that early on in the season. So just continue to let them eat. My last point to victory, leave no doubt, leave no doubt that this Marshall Thundering Herd football team is in a position to be really special. Uh, this is not what we talked about, the Ohio State hangover for Notre Dame. As long as there's not a Notre Dame hangover for Marshall and we can go out there and prove again that we come to work no matter who we're lining up against, there's going to be no doubt of a victory. The, the question is going to be, what is the margin of victory? So everything from an X's and O's standpoint in this game has zero concern to me. Nowhere across the board do I see a spot where they are better than we are better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that. There, it just doesn't occur. Yeah. Everything is between the ears of herd players. Is just don't 
disrespect Bowling Green. Give them the same effort you gave Notre Dame. Yep. And if that means you beat the dog snot out of them, then that's what it means. Did Russ, you hear did you hear Eli Neal after the game when he was being interviewed? I don't know where you were at the watch party if you got to hear that or not. And they said, was this the biggest game? And he said it it was the biggest game because that was the game we were playing next. That's right. And that that's the mentality that this team is taking. That's why I'm not even worried. Uh, even though I brought it up as my first key to victory, is I'm not worried about them overlooking this team at all because I think the coaches have done such a good job of telling them, hey, here's exactly what we're going to do. This game is going to be the biggest game of your life, and you're going to go up there and play it. So I think that we I think we dog walk them, man. So I'm going to make one last point to that, and then I'm going to get your you know Thundercast player of the week. Uh, the Marshall football Twitter account tweeted out 2-0 and at the end of the game. Well, Clint Trickett quote tweeted that and said 1-0 because that's exactly what you're talking about. It's a one-week season every week. They want to go 1-0 every week. That's the job, and that's the job that, that is in front of them this week. So as long as that mentality stays front and center, as long as that focus is what it is, then a game like Bowling Green, a game like Gardner-Webb, not a concern for me. Yeah, you know, it's, it's all about showing up and doing what you do. Uh, Russ, who's your Thundercast player of the week leading in to Bowling Green? I think Laburn, man. Um, I think that he almost had the coming out party. And how crazy is it to say he won the Doak Walker running back <laughs> of the week award? And he almost had his coming out party. That's because <laughs> I think that this coming out party is going to be ridiculous. I'm thinking something similar to uh, Bradshaw against UCF, where he ran for 252 or 248, whatever it was that he ran for. I mean, just I see several long runs, uh, you know, maybe a 70 yarder in there. I think that he just shows up, shows out for this game. I also pick. Uh... LeBorn because he's just hot right now. He's hot right now. But I don't know that we're going to see enough carries to get that 200-yard day unless we just see two or three huge runs. I feel like it's going to be more of a Norfolk State-type day where, you know, Payne might go over 100. Uh, you see Turner get in the game. You see the other guys, you know, on the roster come in and make some plays because there's just no reason to make LeBorn tote the rock 30 times against Bowling Green. There's just yeah. no need for that. You know, so you know, we still, as bad as we want to see him start just dominating in the yardage category and piling up these gaudy numbers, for the grand scheme type stuff, we don't want that. We don't want that extra hit, those extra hits put on him. He doesn't need 30 carries in this game. 15 carries, cool. If it's working, Whoa. get him out of the game. Get pain in. You know, get these younger guys some playing time. They still get four games and can protect that red shirt. So... There's no need, you know, if you got Ali flirting with coming back in a few weeks, there is absolutely no reason to try to see LeBorn get dinged up on something inconsequential. I could agree with that, but I, I don't see him getting 30 carries to get to that 200 plus yards. I think it's just one of those games where if he touches it and there's a seam, he's gone. For sure. You know? Yeah. For sure. The team speed, I would I would venture. The team speed across the Bowling Green defense is nowhere near the team speed of the Notre Dame defense. Yeah. So if you get a you get a crease that he got in the Notre Dame game, if you get that against Bowling Green, 
even if he falls twice, he's yeah. going to the house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have a score prediction this week? I do. Okay. I al- I always have a score prediction, and I'm going with 45 to 13 good guys. Oh, okay. So maybe, maybe you and I are starting to get a little closer on this because I, without talking to you and before we even started recording, jotted down 42 to 14. Look at that. I am off of the cautiously optimistic train and I am full on the thundering herd offensive output train. Uh, The defense is just too stifling. The offense is just too efficient. There are too many playmakers and we've seen them be able to get anybody into the end zone. It doesn't have to be just LeBorn. It doesn't have to be just Keaton or Gamage. Anybody can get this ball into the end zone. I think we're going to see a lot of that again, just like we saw against Norfolk State. Yeah, and I want to qualify that uh, prediction that I am saying that we ease up. Not, not. I mean, I don't know that we'll kneel down like we did, yeah. but – I think that we'll ease up and we could win 60 to seven or something like that. I just don't think that we'll actually see that on the scoreboard. It will just not be anywhere remotely close after a quarter of play. Yeah, I would, I would echo that too. This is, seems like another matchup where you'll see a lot of guys get in the game defensively, you know, Mm -hmm. another opportunity to get some guys game speed action and get battle tested for that Sunbelt gauntlet. All of that type of stuff. So this is a tick above Norfolk State, a couple ticks above Norfolk State, but still an opportunity where you can go down the depth chart a little bit and get some of those, you know, uh, guys that aren't listed on the two deep necessarily, get them some meaningful game time reps, both on offense and defense, really. So um, both of us like to herd in a big time win up at Doit Perry Stadium. Again, go to herdzone.com, get those tickets, 800 the herd, travel with the team. Well, and and go fill that stadium. Turn it into a home game. There's no reason not to. There is no reason not to. Russ, let's take this around the herd. Before we do that, I've got a couple more stats that I want to give out. It just didn't have a good time to bring them up. But just for our fans to listen to, uh, we are tied for eighth in the country in turnover margin. We're tied for eighth in third down defense. Opponents are only five for 25 or 20% against us on third downs. That is how you win ball games. We're tied for 15th in first downs allowed. Even going up against Notre Dame, we've only given up 27 on the year. Tied for second in defensive touchdowns with two. But the only stat where it's not really looking great is the opponents have had four red zone opportunities against us, and they have scored four times two rushing, one passing, and one field goal. That will change if. Bowling Green gets into the red zone this time. I see us finally coming up with a stop and helping that number out a little bit. Other than that, that's all I've got before we take it around the herd. All right, let's roll. All right, let's start off with men's soccer. We recorded uh, last Wednesday, and that game ended after we recorded, and they beat Cleveland State 3-1. to They went on to absolutely beat down Pacific 7-1 to on Sunday. They're now ranked seventh in the country. Uh, Ryan Holmes was named the Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Week, and they have a massive, huge showdown with number six Kentucky in Lexington this Friday at 7.30 p.m. Um, named Sunbelt 
conference defensive player of the week, you say, you mm -hmm. say, but also tacking on two goals against right. Pacific. So yeah. Ryan Holmes, of course, hey, this is a kid you get, you got to love to cheer for, right? Freshman from Ona, West Virginia, right out of Cabell Midland High School. Of those seven goals, I mean, look, I'm not a soccer aficionado, but when I see a seven in a, in a, in a scoring column, I know that's a big deal. Okay, yeah. I know that's a big deal. So a couple of guys have multiple goals in that game. Ryan Holmes, of course, had two. Matthew Bell, freshman extraordinaire from Kingston, Jamaica, puts two more on the season tally for himself in now sole possession of the team scoring lead. And then a trio of guys tack one on the board. Joe Souza hat from uh, Cuiabá, Brazil, the sophomore. Kenzo Brito, the sophomore from Santos, Brazil. And Augustin Yusum, the sophomore from Buenos Aires, Argentina. All tally goals for the herd. They're now four and one on the season. And you mentioned a massively big showdown with UK to open Sunbelt Conference play. This one's going to go a long way to see who puts a stranglehold on the Sunbelt Conference standing. So if you can if you can make it to Lexington, you might want to consider getting down there and giving those guys a contingency of herd fans to root them on. I'm just saying it's not that far from Lexington to Bowling Green, Ohio. There's a pretty good route to go up that way. So why not go there, stay all night, hop up the next morning and go up to Bowling Green? That sounds like a hell of a good weekend plan. Yeah. I better ask my wife if I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, keeping it on the pitch, we've got women's soccer. Uh, it was a heartbreak, man. They dropped a two to one match to Miami, Ohio on Sunday and that was their fourth loss in a row. Yeah, uh, women's soccer dropping to one, four, and two on the season. You mentioned four straight losses. They do open Sunbelt Conference play with mm -hmm. Southern Miss, but hey, Southern Miss is 0-4 on the season, yeah. so something's got to give here. This I mentioned last week that uh, it was the perfect time to get it right against Kriami. This is when it starts to matter, so this is the perfect time to get it right. Uh, Southern Miss is struggling a little bit more so than the herd women's soccer team is, so... Now's the best time to get that win in that losing streak. Come on, guys, let's get it done. And that's here at home at 7 p.m. on Saturday. So if by chance you are not up in Bowling Green watching the game or you prefer soccer and you don't uh, watch football, stop by and support our uh, our girls, man. That's right. We've got tickets. If, uh, if you want to go, we'll be tweeting out a contest tweet for that. All you got to do is make sure you're following Thundercast on Twitter and – Give us a retweet. Over in baseball, the fall, uh, the weekly camps are still going on. Those are uh, every Monday. There's three different uh, camps, as I talked about last week. But big news is the fall ball game at WVU on Friday at 5.30 p.m. So if you're not going to be down in Lexington, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you go to that and then head to Bowling Green, you know, so got a lot to, you know, we always like to go up against WVU and come out with a win, even if we're playing checkers. So right. it's fall ball baseball, but all you baseball heads, uh, that'll be something that if you're in the area up in Morgantown, unfortunately, that would be a good one to go to. Yeah. It's all about options. We're giving you sports Heard sports options, football, soccer, baseball. There's something for everybody. Just get out there and get your butt into a seat in a stadium somewhere where the herd is playing. Over on the links, this happened uh, right in Guyane here in uh, Huntington. But Marshall finished second at the Marshall Invite. But Tyler Jones finished first overall, and he did so by three strokes. Convincing uh, just win. 
yeah, very, very good win there. Uh, keeping it on the links, but up in Cincinnati at the Jennifer Duke Invitational. The women's golf team finished fifth out of 11, and Abby Bull had a an impressive third place overall in that tournament. Yeah, one thing I want to mention is uh, Tyler Jones, of course, keep trying to do this, uh, a senior from Westerville, Ohio. I just want to I've get got, those out there. I've got him as a junior. Uh, I got uh, Maybe it is. Uh, maybe I just put the wrong thing down. I, I tried yeah. to go to Herds. I was – Russian, trying to rush to get all these stats in. Gotcha. Uh, because I, I was very interested if we were going to have him back next year. And uh, I could have read it wrong. I could have looked at an outdated article, but I had him as a junior. This is the only mistake we'll ever make on this. Ever. Show. This is the only one. Mark that down, guys. Uh, Abby Bull is actually from uh, Australia. Uh, and I think that she was a sophomore, but I'd have to go look at that as well. Uh, volleyball dropped two of three at the Marshall invite this past weekend. They won three to nothing, three sets to nothing to Charleston Southern, then dropped one to three to Murray state and two to three to Kent state. Unfortunate, especially here at home this Friday, they'll be traveling to Furman. And then the very next day they'll be playing South Carolina upstate. So hopefully they will come back strong and get a couple of wins also that happened this week with volleyball Bryn brown is tied for first nationally in triple doubles and that for anyone that doesn't know it's any three categories out of aces kills blocks digs and assists go ahead uh volleyball team moves to four and five on the season uh just a quick update as far as team leaders go and then we'll you know, move on around the herd, but we got to give folks, let folks know what's kind of going on and who's doing what. Uh, team leaders, Macy McElhenney leads in kills for the herd with 95, also tied for first in aces with, with uh, Lid Montag with 11. Also, Lid Montag leads the team in blocks with 47, and Caitlin Geller in digs with 140 on this season. So, some names to continue to get to know as the herd tries to make a statement on the volleyball court. It's about time to get into some belt as well with that. So there's the gals you need to know who are doing most of the work. Uh, some of these categories are pretty close. I mean, like the team lead might be like one or two from the second place um, person on the team. But just wanted to get some team leaders out there to get some names with the program and instead of everybody just hearing us say herd volleyball and, and Coach Ari. Yeah. They need to know who some of these players are. Uh, Macy McElhenney's a grad student from Beaver, Pennsylvania. Uh, Lynn Montag, the senior from Lehigh, Utah. Caitlin Geller, of course, a fifth year. We mentioned her before from Waterloo, Wisconsin. And Bryn Brown, who you were mentioned leading in triple doubles, is a sophomore. Sophomore from Toledo, Ohio. And wrapping it up around the herd, cross country uh, had a um, named, uh, excuse me, Abby Herring with cross country was named the Sunbelt Female Runner of the Week. And they have a meet coming up on Friday, and that will be at the Virginia Tech Invitational. If anybody at this point is following any of the Olympic sports, I think by now they know the name Abby Herring. We have we talked, talk, about, we her talked about her a lot. lot. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, again, home state gal, senior from Parkersburg. Um, we just can't put enough shine on AR women athletes be our in-state athletes. And when we get to double dip and talk about a 
women's in-state athlete who's doing big things. It seems like Abby's name is always at the top, right at the top. She just continues to impress as a runner. Uh, another Sunbelt Conference Runner of the Week honor. Amazing stuff. Congratulations to Ab. We're going to keep pulling for you. And the rest of that cross-country team this week, let's go up there to Virginia Tech invite and show out. Russ, if you don't have anything else, give me some final words and we'll get the heck out of here. Just want to continue to shout out 304carwreck.com. Please go by their social media page on Facebook. Give them a like and a follow. Uh, let them know just what a good job they have done with trying to promote us and sponsor us that allows us to do all this stuff for you guys. A couple of weeks ago, they gave away a uh, couple of football tickets to a home game. Uh, they're just stepping up and – Again, we can't say enough good stuff about Ignite Link either with all the stuff that we have going on with them. That's right. Uh, it's because of our sponsors and partners that we're able to do a lot of the stuff that we do to give back to the herd community. So patronize those businesses. Go to the Facebook pages, give them a like. Go to the social media accounts, give them a follow. If you have a need for their services, make sure the numbers are in your phone so that you don't have to go searching for it when the time is there and you need it. It's already ready already. Uh, yeah. what a great weekend in herd sports. I've tweeted earlier, like this is going back to Saturday now that over an eight day span, the Marshall men's soccer team took down the number two soccer team in the country in Pitt, and then beat the number eight football team in the country in Notre Dame. And this might be one of the most impressive weeks of herd athletics, along with several other of our athletes that were named Sunbelt conference, something of the week, you know, the, the, it, we're in some good times. It's a good time to be a herd fan. Just and, wait until we beat number six uh, UK this Friday as well. Yeah, I mean, th th there's a lot in front of us. That's what I'm talking about. It's a great time to be a herd fan. So get on the freaking train, man. Just get behind what we're trying to do here instead of waiting for those moments to go. Ah, I knew it was going to go wrong. Why not enjoy it while it's happening? It's much more fun to do that. Uh, I, I have been, I haven't been this excited about being a herd fan across the athletic department in a long time. And we haven't even gotten into basketball season yet. So we're, you know, we're just talking about the football team doing great. The soccer team doing great and our Olympic sports making strides. We're about to get into softball season. We're about to get into baseball season. Like there's going to be so many more opportunities for excitement in and around Huntington and for Marshall to make waves in the Sunbelt conference again. Follow the Thundercast on Twitter, Facebook, and please go to the YouTube channel and subscribe there as well. You're going to start seeing a lot more content across that media outlet. And again, if you're going to listen to the show, you might as well subscribe to the show so it downloads to your phone automatically every week. And you don't have to worry about, hey, is the episode dropping? Yeah, it is. Moving forward, we're going to start trying to get these out earlier in the week. We've just had a few circumstances. Personally, my son was homesick from school a couple of days ago, so we couldn't really dedicate the time to record the way the way we wanted to. So moving forward, we're going to try to get our episodes out on uh, Wednesdays moving forward. So a um, little, little extra day of listening for you guys, if we can. Russ, if you got nothing else, take us heck out of here. Whether you see us over at the Joan, whether you see us at the Cam, whether you see us at the Dot, or whether you see us inside Notre Dame Stadium where we have a 1 to 10 disadvantage to your fans, but we're still drowning you out. No matter wherever you see us, we're going to be shouting, Go Herd. Go Herd. It's the Thundercast. We'll see you next week. Later. <laughs>